Welcome to another compelling episode on the No Gray Areas podcast. Today we have on special guest Ashley Yablon to discuss his pivotal decision as a whistleblower at a major telecom company. Yablon's bravery then led to a choice that would foreseeably change his life forever. Let's get started. Ashley Yabon, welcome so much to the No Gray Areas podcast. Uh, I read your book recently, and it's it is a crazy story. Uh, let me let me just intro people with this uh, this one excerpt from the book, and then I'm going to let you run with it. You say in there, you said in every story there is a defining moment, a precise instant in time when the game changes for good. The whole story from that point forward can be divided into a before and after scenario. Things that happened before the critical event and things that happened after. I set you up for our audience there. Tell us a little bit about this crazy story. Yeah, so I am was the general counsel, uh, the in-house lawyer for the third largest telecom company called ZTE, which is a Chinese telecom. And I happened to start there right when they were under a house investigation uh, where our, our U.S. government was concerned that ZTE, as well as my former employer, Huawei, were a threat to U.S. national security. And what I stumbled upon, and I believe that's the part in the book, uh, was uh, Reuters had gotten its hands on a, a copy of a contract between ZTE and the country of Iran. And the contract was for hundreds of millions of dollars of spying technology. Also, Reuters got its hands on an over 900-page packing list, and the packing list detailed all the spying technology as well as all of the U.S. component parts that made up that uh, all the that went into the spying technology, which is against U.S. law. You can't uh, re-export uh, embargoed or to the embargoed countries, yeah. and that's what ZTE had done, and that's what I uncovered was uh, ZTE's scheme, an elaborate scheme they had created yeah. to sell billions of dollars of spying technology. So our government was correct in the sense that they were a threat to U.S. national security. Yeah. Well, now let me let me jump kind of to the end of the story, the end of the book, to try to get our audience to understand how big of a deal this was for you or how big of a deal it ended up for you. Because, I mean, this podcast is all about the, the power and complexity of human choice, that we make our choices and eventually our choices make us. So your story fits perfectly. So eventually, I'm jumping to the end of the story. Eventually, this company is fined $2.5 billion, correct? Correct. Now, now for our audience, I did a little bit of math this morning because that I can't wrap my mind around that number. That's just too big. <laughs> so like millions, I can kind of wrap my mind around. If we went back 2.5 million seconds, it would take us back about 29 days. So about a month, 2.5 million seconds. If we go back 2.5 billion seconds, we're going back almost 80 years. Oh, wow. So when we talk about like millions and billions, that's a that's a massive difference. They were fined $2.5 billion. So when you talk about international espionage, life's on the line, yours being one of them, uh, the main one on the line, that, that much money involved, people will do some pretty radical things, right? They'll do crazy things. You know, um, what I like to always tell, I, I just gave a speech a couple of days ago to a few hundred people. And I always say, and I think I mentioned the book, I spilled the billion dollar beans. Yeah. Uh, I went to the FBI and uh, and told them the elaborate scheme. And, you know, like I said, ZTE was was making hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars selling to all these countries. So 
and spying technology, which uh, was a threat to our lives. So, yes, people will do crazy things. They yeah. they did all kinds of things, which I'm sure we'll talk about here uh, as we move on. So when you when you first start learning of this, this issue and you, this was, again, for the people who are going to end up reading your book, which I highly recommend they'll discover that this was kind of your dream job. This is what you had been working for, to be general counsel for a large organization like this. Right. And it's you're not working there very long before you start uh, uncovering some things going, uh-oh, right? How, how, how long was that? Less than a month. It was less than a month when we had what I call the Thanksgiving Day meeting. And you have to remember, everyone there is a, uh, a, a Chinese national on a visa. And the only executive who's an American citizen is myself. Uh, so yeah, within one month, I, I knew I was in, in grave danger when, when it was uncovered that we were under house investigation, uh, and they, they pointed to me, uh, this should have been a red flag, uh, the first of many and said, you Ashley, will be the one who stands up, uh, to see, you know, on C-SPAN, uh, in front of Congress and says, we're doing nothing wrong. So that should have been a big red flag. <laughs> That's so crazy. So you're there, the dream job, this company is bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars and you're there less than a month or about a month, and they're telling you you're going to be on C-SPAN telling the world that we're innocent of whatever they're... Correct. Yeah, yeah. So w- w- what was your like? What was your conversation that night when you go home with your wife? Because your wife's <laughs> an attorney as well. Is that correct? Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, I, I always tell people there are two main themes in my book, and it's the, the theme uh, of probably of, of what your podcast about, and that is... Uh, number one, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. And so this is everything I'd wanted. And I talk about red flags and obviously talk to her about it. But I, I saw them, but I didn't see them mm. because I didn't want to see it. Right. It was everything that I had dreamt of, everything I'd worked for. So I didn't see the red flags as they were flying right in front of my face. So the conversation was basically me saying it's problematic. Uh, she pointing it out. And she was always the voice of reason while I was uh, skeptical, skeptical, but obviously wanted to keep on because this is everything I'd work for. Yeah. I, I think our audience can probably all connect with what you're saying. I certainly can, because I think we've all been in a situation, probably not where $2.5 billion in our life is at stake, <laughs> but, uh, I think we've all been in a situation where we ignored some red flags right. and I, that's what I, what loved about your book, Ashley, I, you know, I've never been in a situation quite like that, but there were so many principles and ideas and thoughts that came out of the book where I'm going, I've been in that situation. So I love the fact that you're saying you were kind of avoiding or ignoring these red flags. How long does this go on then before you re- realize like, this is serious, I- I'm in this no going back moment? Uh, probably that opening line that you you read uh, was the was the turning point. And that was when we were in Shenzhen, China, where ZTE is based. And uh, I'm reviewing the actual contract, the, the one that uh, there was a, a subpoena and it was made out to me uh, by our Department of Commerce looking to get a copy of that contract. So I'm reviewing the contract in Shenzhen, China, and I see in, in plain English a section of this hundreds of millions of dollars of contract that says a section called how we will get around U.S. export law. And I nearly fell out of my chair. couldn't believe it was so brazen and over the top. And then I went and I met with uh, the, the head of Chinese people there, the CEO and, and the general counsel, and explained this is problematic. And they kept coming up with more elaborate and over-the-top schemes of how to get around it. And I think the main turning point, and this is when I knew I was in what I would say a, a total pickle, 
was when they, um, my a Chinese attorney who worked for me, as they were speaking in English uh, and in Mandarin, she turned to me in English and said, Ashley, they're lying to your face. They're not going to comply with the U.S. government, and they're going to make you the scapegoat. And when she said that, I knew all of it just came to a head, and I rushed back to the U.S. and and figured out what my next steps were. Now, what meeting was it? Because in your book, you you end up they let you in this room, and you have to review. Uh, was that that is that the time that you're discussing? Where they let right. you in this room, they let you. There's hundreds, maybe thousands of pages of documents, and you just have a brief time to look at it. But you happen, you just happen to find this part. Is that the the part of the book you're talking about? Correct. I was led into a, a room with it was something out of a B-rate movie. There was um, there was no windows, a totally dark room. Uh, I, I walked in. It was pitch black. The only light was from a laptop. And he said, I said, I need to see the agreement and that 900 page packing list. And I said, you're not going to see that. What you're going to get is 15 minutes to review each one of them. And I said, there's no way I can do that. So those were the rules they gave me. Uh, they projected the like you said, the uh, the contract on on the on the wall, literally on the wall, like a, uh, a projector. And as they're scrolling this, through this it, does sound like a B movie. You're right. It really was. And, you know, any international contract and I won't bore you or your uh, audience with legalese, but uh, any international contract is split down the middle with one half being in English and the other half being in, in this instance, Chinese. And I'm reading through the agreement quickly as I can. Uh, and as I was scrolling and scrolling, I said, stop, scroll back up. And he scrolled back up. And, and like I said, there was a section called how we will get around U.S. export laws. And it was so brazen because it even had a diagram, a picture of all the shell entities and uh, companies that ZTE had created in order to create this illegal, elaborate scheme. And that's what I saw. And then at that same day, that same meeting, a little bit later that afternoon is when they told me, oh, we'll comply and then that's when the attorney turned to me and said, they're lying to you. They're speaking in Mandarin. They're going to destroy all the evidence that the uh, government is requesting, and they're going to make you the scapegoat. And so you go back to your, your hotel room. Not a very nice hotel room again. We won't tip right. the readers off on that one. They can read the book. <laughs> I yeah. love that. You go back to your, your, your crappy little hotel room. What were you thinking? I was numb. I was actually numb. I called my wife. And I told her what was happening. And she said, ironically, Ashley, you have to get home. Oh, but by the way, they're stopping ZTE employees. Uh, it's on the news. They're stopping them at, at the border at the airport. And I thought, oh, my gosh, if they're going to stop anyone, it's going to be me, you know, the attorney for the company, the head attorney. Uh, and not only that, if you think about it, I'm also the unicorn because not only am I the head attorney for a ZTE, but I'm also the other uh, attorney. I was the assistant general counsel for Huawei, which was also under house investigation. These were the two Chinese telecom companies. And like I said, here's the attorney for both. Uh, and I was fearful of getting home. So that that whole plane ride was a was a white knuckle ride all the way back to uh, to the U.S. You're like, you don't know what you're going to walk into. Right. I don't know. No I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through security. I don't know if I get through customs. I, I don't know. That was I, that was the fearful part. Had you had any conversations with the FBI up at this point? That, not to that point. No. At that point, so you hadn't. On the way to the airport, while you're still in China, uh, you just, there's someone who is with you that tells you, forget what you saw, or something something to that. 
Uh, yeah, I, I can't say too much about that because that rides a fine line. But I, I got a look from someone that was very clear that my I needed to forget what I knew. And the look told me, get rid of the notes you just took of everything you saw. That's what it was. Yes, it was the notes. You had, you right. had some... Yeah, yeah. So you're flying back to the U.S. You now know this is serious. This has got moment like that I read at the very beginning of this podcast where your your life from this moment on is going to be different than your life was before that. For right? sure. For sure. You it know, all it all changed at that that moment and and then from there on out. So I want to keep uncovering and unpacking the story a little bit, but I want to key in on this, though, for a moment, because you did have a choice. You could have. Yeah pretended like you you could have ignored you didn't have to be that whistleblower okay. what made you make that choice and, and and i think again this is why i love your story ashley you didn't know when you made that you knew it was going to be serious but i don't think you knew how serious it was going to be did you no no i i didn't i i never knew uh when you read my book and obviously pat you did you, you see the ramifications and the fallout from what happened and obviously i had no idea i knew it was huge what I was in the middle of, but I didn't know what was going to happen. I think, uh, to your point, uh, you know, I'm an attorney. My wife is an attorney. All my best friends are attorneys. But I ended up hiring five different lawyers that I was personally paying to represent me. And I struggled uh, with what to do. My criminal lawyer, again, had to hire a criminal lawyer. And my criminal lawyer said, we need to go to the FBI. And for about two weeks, I sought the advice of everyone. And I went back and forth. And I won't bore your audience again with legalese, but we've all heard of attorney-client privilege. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, so that's with your client comes to you and tells you they committed an illegal act in the past. You have to keep that confidential as an attorney. The exception to that is when your client comes to you and tells you they're going to further a crime in the future. And that's what ZTE You no longer was, have client. No the, longer. The, Okay. No longer. And so that's when you have a duty. You actually have a, a duty to go report that as an attorney. And I struggled with this because I felt for the point you brought up earlier, um, this is my dream job. Uh, it's everything I wanted. I, I didn't want to see these things, but I don't mean to sound corny. I really don't. But this is true. I, I felt as an American, this is something I had to do. I, and I, I saw it as important because um, if not me, then who, right? Yeah. There's no yeah. one else who's going to, number one. And number two, we're not talking a petty crime. We're talking a crime against our country yeah. and our national security. And so the, the one instance that, that happened was uh, my criminal lawyer said to me, I, 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 I turned to him and I said, I don't see how I can do this. And he said, Ashley, I don't see how you can't. Hmm. And when he said that, something about that flipped the switch for me. And I knew that I had to go. And, and so he set up a meeting with the FBI and, and uh, I ended up telling them for two straight days everything I knew, all the players, all the shell entities, uh, and laid it out for them for two straight days. Wow. What I love is I think on your website, it talks about this and maybe in the forward of the book that it says something about what is easy is not always right. Right. And again, this is where our audience, myself, we can resonate with your story. Not in the same situation as you were in by any means, but we've all been in some of those situations where we have to make a choice and it may not be an easy choice. Right. But I think that actually describes what, what, what heroes do, um, right? We, we look at, we love watching movies or reading books about heroes. And what they do is they usually, in the face of conflict, in the face of something that feels overwhelming and in the face of making a decision that's going to make their life like yours, 
from this point on, my life will never be the same. They make the right decision. Right. right. So, so you were in that place. You made that decision. You go to the FBI for, for two days. You're unpacking everything. Correct. Where does it go from there? So I give all that information to the FBI. Uh, they take my laptop. They make a what they called a, a preservation copy of it. Um, and I, I'm told to go right back to work. And so I do. My understanding from the FBI was they were to take that that what they created a 32 page. It became a 32 page affidavit. Um, and present that to a judge to do what we call, they were going to do a raid, an old school raid on ZTE USA, but they needed the permission of a judge to do it. But that was to be filed under seal, meaning never to see the light of day, not a public record. No one would ever know about it. Um, that was my understanding. So fast forward a couple of months, I'm going to work one morning. And as I'm walking up to the office, my phone rings, my cell phone, and it's a reporter. Uh, from, and he had gotten a copy of that affidavit and my heart fell to the ground. I couldn't believe it. He said, I'm writing a story about it and you want to make any comment? And I said, that's confidential. You shouldn't have access to it. He said, well, I do. And I'm writing a story. And I knew, uh, well, I, I spoke to my attorneys. We tried to figure out, we couldn't get it stopped. Uh, and the bottom line was, uh, my wife and I were sitting at home sweating to death in the heat of summer in here in Texas. Uh, and hitting the refresh button uh, on that laptop. Uh, and soon enough, the story comes out. We jump up. My wife says, we got 30 minutes to get out of this house or we're going to get killed. Hey, from your No Gray Areas team, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. And if you're loving this episode, would you just take a moment and leave us a review rating on whatever platform you're listening from? If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on the new podcast episodes that drop every other Wednesday. By leaving a review and subscribing, you help others discover our podcast's inspirational messages to effectuate positive change in their lives. Okay, let's jump back in to this episode. Soon enough, the story comes out. We jump up. My wife says, we got 30 minutes to get out of this house or we're going to get killed. We throw bags together and we scramble out. Yeah. And that's we went into hiding. That's where it started. By the way, I love the way that, that you did the book because the book actually starts at that point. Yeah, right? it does. Like you yeah. guys are sitting there, ducked down in your house, yeah. hitting refresh, 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 refresh. And then the story and then the, you realize the story did go public. And now your life is on the line and you guys are packing 30 minutes, getting out of there, going and hiding out in some hotel. Right. right? Yeah. Right. Okay, so let's just back up really quick. How far into it are you now? Are you have you been there for three months, six months, eight months? Uh, Do you remember? Yeah, let's see. I had been there. Oh goodness, uh, it was a summer seven, eight months, I guess. So okay. About close to eight months. Yeah. So things are unraveling pretty quickly. I mean, the, within a month, quick. you find out something's going on, and within eight months, you're sitting down with the FBI putting together a 32-page affidavit. Yeah, and so when we're in hiding, my phone is blowing up. Every news agency in the world had found my number and was calling me. And I'm calling my attorney. And we he basically sets up a meeting with the FBI. And so we go back to the FBI. And, and he says to him very clearly, in fact, we're sitting there. And my attorney says to me, he says, Ashley, I've been coming to the FBI for 40 years representing clients. And he said, I've never seen the level of heavy hitters that they brought in to meet with you. And I said, well, great. So my, my attorney explains to him, you've ruined his life. Number one, he's going to lose his dream job. That's a given. Uh, number two, no, he's never going to, his career is over too, because no one's ever going to hire him. 
And number three, you put his life at risk. And I'll never forget the uh, head person from the FBI said, if this was the uh, Mexican Zetas, he'd already be dead. If this was the Russian mafia, he'd already be dead. The Chinese, he said, are about third on the list. And I said, is that supposed to make me feel better? (laughs) It's not giving you a lot of comfort. (laughs) Yeah. And so from there, they said, no, we're sorry. And we don't know how it got leaked. Um, And then they they said, "We'll, we'll give you we'll put you in the witness protection program, you and your wife, if you want. And I said, well, please tell me I have other options. And he said, well, we can do us. I said, we aren't at our house. We fear it's probably bugged. He said, we can do a sweep of your house. He also gave me what I affectionately called the bat phone, which was a number um, that I could call at any time. And, and the FBI would be there in about three minutes. Um, and I actually had to use that at one point. But um, and that was what I was given. And so I had to go home to my wife uh, and make some make some decisions. Yeah. Let, let me just read another excerpt out of the book that goes along with what you're saying that can help our audience understand the serious situation you were in. You wrote, if Donna and I wanted to talk to each other about anything sensitive, we maintained the practice I mentioned before. We'd go into the backyard, turn on the sprinklers, and speak in a whisper. So you're, you guys are so concerned about your house being bugged, people watching you, that you're, I mean, again, this is like a movie. You yeah. guys are going out in the backyard, putting the sprinklers on, and, and whispering to each other to have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling now laughing. It obviously wasn't funny then, but no. yeah, this is how, this is how it went. And, um, yeah, it was, it was very scary. Uh, you know, my wife, uh, it's also detailed in the book followed, uh, by a Chinese gentleman in a car. She walked the dog. Uh, we went to go have dinner a good 25 miles from our house. We sit down and two Chinese gentlemen come in something out of a movie in, in black suits, white shirts, black ties, sit directly next to us at a table and throw down their menus and just stare at us. Yeah. And that's when I had to use the bat phone. The FBI came and you can read about it in the book, but you know, that death threats, we're going to kill you. We're going to, you know, this is coming from ZTE, from ZTE's phones. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill your family, your children, your children's children. And it went on and on and on. I gave all that information to the FBI uh, and like I always say, the FBI is in the information gathering business, not the information giving business. So I never found out anything what happened with those or what they found when they swept my house. That's a great line, by the way. And mm-hmm. I, I suspect you, uh, you, you know the truth of that more than most. Um, yeah, for sure. They're, they're not, they're not uh, updating you on how things are going. No. No, they're not, they're not giving me reports and, and daily briefings. No. <laughs> so this story comes out. You guys are in hiding. But you end up, you still go have to go back to the building. Tell us about that day. That's, that is the, everyone asked me at a speech I gave um, the other day, someone asked me, what was the scariest event of all this? And I said, well, there's so many, but the one you're about to, um, we're about to talk about is the scariest one. And that was, again, remember I was paying out of my own pocket, five lawyers, uh, went through all my savings, sold my, my wife and I sold everything we owned just to pay these five lawyers to represent me. And my employment lawyer said, you need to go back to work. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And sure enough, we worked it with the FBI. I had plainclothes uh, officers at the building because we had a building, ZTE did. And I remember going up that elevator. And uh, as I walked in, the glass doors, the receptionist, a Chinese lady saw me, dropped her phone and said, oh, my God, it's him. Wow. And I walked around the corner 
And, you know, like any office, you have all the cubicles, Mm -hmm. 80% of our office, again, we're Chinese nationals, something out of a movie. As I rounded the corner, all the Chinese nationals stood up in unison and you could hear a pin drop. Uh, It was so silent as I made my way to my office, which was actually had an office with a door at the very back as an executive. And my door was covered in yellow police crime scene tape. And I had to tear that off. I get open my door and I had a six foot by six foot whiteboard that I used to, uh, you know, describe things. It was erased. And in all caps with three exclamation points was the word die. Hmm. So that's what I was greeted with uh, as I as I came to work. My heart was pounding and, and all that situation certainly didn't make me feel any better. Tell us about your uh, your security guy. Yeah, great point. Um, so I. Uh, I had three Chinese lawyers that work for me, um, and when I came in, I noticed that where their office was, the actual door was taken off the hinges and pulled in front because their office was catty quarter to mine. So you could actually you could look in, we could look in and see each other's office, and that they were all gone, but the door was taken off of that office and a large desk was pulled to the front and a huge Chinese gentleman, one I'd never seen, uh, in a, again, something out of a movie, black suit, white shirt, black tie, was there every day to monitor me. His job was to watch me. He was there before I got there in the morning and he was there as I left in the afternoon. He's not so answering I, I phones a, or typing or anything, right? He saw me and he was he he just monitored me. Had his had his arms folded like this on his desk and and didn't move. He was like the sentry man. I think I mentioned that in the book. But um yeah, I had my own security security guard to 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 monitor me. Wow. So how, where does this go from there then? You're you're back at work. You're going to work there. Um, they're under investigation. Where does this go? So what happened was this kept on and ZTE actually took my laptop from me. Um, they didn't allow me to have a laptop. They didn't allow me to have phone, but I said, I'm here to work. I have a job to do. And it was like a torture. They were going to, they were going to just try to torture me uh, to, to quit. And I just wouldn't do it. And finally, after about 30 days, my wife says to me, um, you realize you're in a hostile work environment. And, you know, here I am, an attorney that deals with that on a day to day basis for a company. But when it's you, you don't see it. Yeah. And they put me on administrative leave, which sounds great, but I couldn't quit um, because my employment lawyer said I need to preserve those claims. So I'm sitting at home, maybe getting paid. But remember, I'm still paying all these lawyers to represent me. And uh, I ended up resolving my issues with uh, ZTE, which sounds great. Let me just say this: I'm I made enough to pay back all my lawyers, even more money that I uh, uh, had had even they had given me on credit. But I obviously, had sold everything that I owned anyway. And the investigation went on with ZTE uh, until 2017. But for me, for three years, no one would ever return my call. I couldn't get a job. You're handing out resumes, and you're not even getting a call back. Uh, over, I sent out, well, let me just say this, the, I sent out and applied for over 500 jobs. And not only did I apply for jobs as a general counsel, but even entry level, like entry level attorney positions, and no one would even return my phone calls. Yeah. So for almost three years, I just went to go work for my wife, uh, and, and work for her. Uh, but the investigation continued on against ZTE to what you alluded to at the beginning, ZTE ended up uh, settling with our government, 
and paying the largest penalty. At the time, it was $1.2 billion uh, with some caveats of, of ZTE. Uh, if they were bad players, they'd have to pay more. Well, of course they were, and they broke the rules and had to pay another 1.2. So it was, around, like you said, about $2.5 billion, the largest penalty ever assessed and paid by a company was one assessed against ZTE. Uh, I fell through the cracks. Uh, I, I, I I call myself a whistleblower, but I uh, the laws at the time didn't allow to me to recover anything. I didn't I didn't recover a penny. Um, now the laws would have entitled me to uh, roughly thirty percent of that two point five billion. I'm I'm not good at math, but I think that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Again, if you go back <laughs> to the two point five million seconds versus two point five billion seconds, there's a big difference. Yeah. So so did the laws change since then? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Is so whistleblowers now there's there's some incentive or at least something that they're gonna get out of yeah. out of this. Because like you you again, let me go back to that. When when you're in China and you see that that document and and you're getting uh, these nonverbal cues of you better forget what you saw, like get rid of your notes, and, and you're deciding on doing the right thing. You had no idea the impact that that was going to have on your life, right? So yeah. you, you alluded to it. Give us a, a little more insight into how that changed your life. Yeah, at the time, yeah, to your point, I had no idea. I'd end up hiring five lawyers, uh, going through every bit of my savings, Selling, I ended up like having garage sales, selling everything that we owned just to raise money to pay attorneys, borrowed from family and friends, hired five lawyers. Um, and then to your point, didn't realize then that I potentially would have to go into hiding. I'd get death threats. Um, I'd lose my dream job. I'd almost lose my career. And then no one would even call me back. Yeah. Um, here I am, 40 years old. Um, been general counsel of a multi-billion dollar international company. And now I can't even get a call back for an entry-level position. So yeah, it takes a toll on you mentally, um, yeah, physically. Uh, and and that's, that's, that's kind of the tip of the iceberg, really. Yeah. I, yeah. So where are you at today? Like, you, you know, you've, you've obviously processed some of this. You've written a book. Do we, am I allowed to talk about maybe the, the movie? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we, we could sure. edit that out if I'm not. But no, no, uh, you, yeah, we yeah. certainly can. To kind of catch you up, um, I did eventually become get a, a, a wonderful uh, opportunity to be GC, and I was GC with a company for about three years, and then really needed a break. So in 2018, I took time off. I wanted to write my book, which I did, and then I knew I still wanted to practice, uh, but I started my own firm, and I've been very fortunate. I guess starting my sixth or seventh year. Of having my own firm and own practice, and knock on wood, we're, we're doing really well, and I'm I'm very happy. And yeah, wrote the book, uh, went out, um, I speak about it quite a bit. And then to your point, yes, we're we're in the process of of, of working on the movie. We're just finishing up the script, which good is excellent. Uh, it's really fun, really fun. Good. Well, huge congratulations on those things for sure. Let me let me show our audience the book. There's one behind you on your shelf, but. Yeah. This is the book. I highly recommend it. And you were kind enough to send us a signed copy that um, a week after we drop this podcast, we're going to give away to one of our audience members. But um, am I missing anything? Is there anything that you'd like to, before we start wrapping this up, is there anything that you would like to share that maybe we didn't touch on? I think that's it. You think you've covered most, of, you hit the highlights. Uh, for sure. Tell us how we can connect with you, how our audience can get a copy of the book, that you have a website, correct? What is that? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks. It's uh, Ashley Yablon. So just my full name, A-S-H-L-E-Y-Y-A-B-L-O-N. Well, again, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. We want to finish up with this ironic thing we do, the two truths and a lie. We've gotten to know you pretty well. But before I jump into that, I just want to say thank you. And man, I just want to honor you for making that difficult decision. Uh, not not an easy one and one that went and, and really, obviously, as our audience heard, changed your life. But this is why you fit so perfectly with what we talk about and really the premise of this podcast is human choice. There's a power to it. I mean, I, I, I'm a person of faith, and so I believe that we were created with this power of choice, and there's good and bad on that. We make choices, and eventually our choices make us, and your story is certainly with that. So I just want to honor you and thank you for making that difficult choice. Thank um, you. And, and for being a patriot. Uh, love your shirt, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but but your decision, your decision, part of that was was based on, you know, international espionage. So thank you. Oh, Appreciate thank you. that so much. Thank you so much, Pat. Appreciate yeah. it. Well, two truths and a lie. This is a fun part. You're just going to give me three statements and I have to try to identify which one might be a lie. Okay. Uh, first one. I won $10,000 in a scratch-off in the Texas lottery. That's one. Two, I have my private pilot's license. And three, I was a child model and actor. Ooh, those are good. Those are good. Okay, I'm going to go with the middle one is, is being true. I think, I think you're the te- you, got, you went and got your private pilot, pilot's license. I did. I did. Is that true? That is true. Okay. All right. Now, I, now I'm down to a 50-50 chance. You know, the reason I guess that being true is because I travel to Texas periodically, and that is a massive state, and I can see why someone would want a private pilot's license just to get around in that state. That, that was my <laughs> my thinking in that one. Um, I'm going to go with the, uh, the scratch-off one is the lie. You are correct. Wow. Very good. How'd you, why'd you figure that? <laughs> I got it. I, I don't know. Literally that was almost like flipping a <laughs> coin in my mind. So That's yeah, funny. yeah. What, what was your third one again that you, I was a child, child actor. Act- so you did a little bit of child acting, acting and modeling. Yeah. I did as, as a kid, did, did a bit of that. We did some commercials and uh, radio and TV and then print work and, um, a lot of stuff for, uh, magazines and stuff like that. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. Really appreciate you being on the No Gray Areas podcast. And again, thank you for the choices that you've made. Thank you so much, Pat. As we conclude this episode, if you want to learn more about his story or check out Ashley's book, visit his website, ashleyyablon.com. As you go into your week, remember from the episode that the right choice isn't always the easy choice. We'll see you next time on No Gray Areas. No Gray Areas.